Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and on Power Training. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hi, and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason. And Amanda. Today we have some special guests with us. We have Darren and Margie Fink. They have a group that a guy recommended to me to find, and they called it Transfiguring Adoption. I thought, what a strange name. I wonder what that means. And so I had a few buttons on the keyboard until I ran across this guy, Darren, and he said, yeah, let me call you, because turns out he's one of those weird guys like me who likes to talk and not type. And that was amazing. <laughs> and so I talked to Darren and he told me the story and I want him to tell you guys the story today because Darren and Margie are a foster and adoptive family who do way more than just foster and adopt kids. They are leading the charge and helping people who are on that journey with us. How are you doing today, guys? Doing all right. Doing fantastic, actually. well that's great do me a favor tell me how did you guys get started in this journey because we all have a story and most people's story is different and very few people ever get to hear the real backstory so how did you guys get into this um so yeah so we uh as far as getting into foster care and adoption we uh margie and i couldn't have children of our own um i guess that's a i guess that's a Continuing thing, we can't have children of our own. Um, so for us, though, like we hear, we're, we've heard a lot of different couples that deal with infertility and different issues. Uh, and they're having to go through a grieving process. For us, I don't think there was ever much of a grieving process. I mean, I think there was. But for us, it was just kind of we'd always talked about doing foster care or adoption, uh, even before we were married. So this just kind of was... Like, oh, this is the next phase of our life now. We're, we're going to do foster care because we're not going to have our own children. So it, it kind of, it, I don't know if I would say it was a relief, but it was just kind of a, okay, this door is closed on, on this journey, and now we're going to go on to the next one. Uh, so that's, we started taking classes uh, to get our licensing um, after we fa- found that out. And um, yeah, that was, the, the licensing classes were a journey. That was a lot of hours that we had to put in a lot of things that we had to learn. Um, and then before we even had our licensing, we got a phone call. Um, you got to keep in mind, we, we were living in Southern Illinois at the time and we were, we were remodeling, I mean, gutting a 1913 home. Um, and so the main floor was completely finished, um, except for the kitchen. The second floor where the bed, the, the kids' bedrooms would be completely down to the studs. And we got a phone call from our agency that we were licensing with that's they asked us, Hey, can you guys take an emergency placement? And our response was, well, we don't even have our license yet. And they said, we'll expedite it. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we, we pretty much were done with the classes at that point. So they were kind of like, well, we'll just expedite it. Uh, we're like, well, we don't have any bedrooms. Um, so we had we kinda, one, we had our room and then there was another room on the main floor, but there were two siblings of, opposite genders and they weren't supposed to share a room and we're like well how does that work we don't have a place for them and we can't really go to work and then come home and be drywalling and be mommy and daddy at the same time um so we kind of said no well not kind of we did say no we did say no uh, <laughs> we and By we told the phone call number three when the case the our worker said 
okay, present foster family said they could ha hang in there for three weeks if you can, you know, just do a barn raising and get those rooms ready. And so we did. We, because they, I think the thing that got us was they said, we're going to separate them. We have no other option right. at this point. They had looked the entire region of Southern Illinois, multiple counties. There was nobody that could take the two kids together. And so um, that that pulled at us. We didn't want to see the kids separated. So we said, okay, we will call every contractor friend we know. We will get it done. And three weeks later, here we were getting ready. And um, the day of, you know, we took off of work and... Um, it was kind of a memorable day because our beloved cat decided that he wanted to become crazy ill and need to be taken to the vet. So Darren leaves and I'm a nervous wreck and the caseworker comes and she drops the kids with like half their stuff and says, Hey, I got to go. I'll see you later. Um, and we didn't know the kid's last name, social security numbers or anything, you know, like birth dates. And we're like, we're trying to ask the five-year-old, um, you know, the 22 month olds middle name. So we're like, we, we got to put these kids in daycare. We know nothing about them. <laughs> and that was our introduction to foster care. <laughs> that sounds like about an average introduction into foster yeah, care. Much, almost. Pretty much. It was a trial by fire. It was fun. Yeah. It's almost like the system is set up to, uh, to throw us into it that way. But <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like a hazing, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost. Yeah, we, we, we kind of, we weren't quite at that level, but we, we had a, an interesting step in ourselves. And so, you know, I, I know that you said that you guys took two kids into a place that you didn't think was ready for them because you wanted to avoid the separation. Now, for the listeners, why is that such an important thing for you? Um, you know, at the time, I mean, we, we both each have a sibling and, um, you know, Growing up, my sibling was very important to me, you know, and years, a few years back, I was actually um, in D.C. with some different folks to work on the national ad campaign for foster care. And they were that year, the focus was on siblings and keeping siblings together. And one of the things they said that really made a big impact was, you know, that your sibling relationship is the longest relationship you will have in your entire life. Because your parents, you know, are older and they usually pass before you and you have some time after them. You know, spouses, friends, you know, they come later, but your siblings are generally kind of on the whole life journey with you. Um, so it's, it's really an important relationship. And I just couldn't imagine, you know, when foster care just is tra traumatic, um, you know, to be, as an adult to think what, what would it feel like to someone just randomly come into your home, take you and say, okay, this is your new family. This is your new work. This is your new place. You know, you don't know anybody, all everything and everyone that you know is gone. Your siblings though, if you can go with them, that is huge. Um, and just really important. So, uh, we had a big home that we were renovating and that was one of the things when we first went into it was one of our purposes. We wanted to be able to keep siblings together. And, you know, when we started it, we thought it was going to be, we're going to keep a bigger sibling group together because we had a 3,300 square foot house that eventually, once it was all finished, had six bedrooms. So our thought was, we'll keep a big sibling set together. And we ended up keeping two kids together. <laughs> so, um, and then they were shortly followed by um, a pre-adoptive placement of 
nine and 10 year old siblings um, from a different sibling set. So we went zero to four in about six months. We started visits almost like two months after the first two kiddos came with the second set of kiddos. So, so by from November of 08, when the first two came, and then in January, we started doing visits. And then in June of 09, the other two moved in zero to four in six months. Um, Trial by fire. (laughs) That sounds like it. (laughs) You know, we, it sounds like we have a similar home. Our place was built in 1900 something. 1903. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember exactly how long ago it's been, but I know it's over a hundred years old. And the upstairs could really use a remodel if you guys want to come on out and take care of that. (laughs) I would let you. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Not really because I'm not a construction guy. I need to make some good friends. Anybody out there in the construction industry that wants a good friend? (laughs) You know, come on by. Yeah. So keeping your keeping those siblings together, I I understand the importance of that. We, We actually have a sibling group of two that we've adopted as well. And um, that's been an interesting thing for us to watch on our journey, the importance of keeping those kids together. Well, the bond, you know, the yeah. bond that they have, the journey that they've been together on, and to separate that is just not something that is right to do. Yeah. Our second sibling set that we got, um, they were two out of four. And I remember um, right around the, this week that our two moved in, their siblings, because rights had actually been terminated that week. They had been in care five years. Um, rights were terminated the week that they moved into our home. And so their siblings' family was also a foster family. They were military. They were waiting for that termination so they could move out of state. So that same week, their sibling moved, siblings moved out of state. And so it was probably probably what, like a year later, they came back to visit and we were trying to do catch up time because, you know, they were still in care. Um, so they were still supposed to be getting those sibling hours. You know, they have, they're supposed to be getting hours with their, you know, birth parents, but they're also supposed to be getting hours with their siblings. And that wasn't happening because they lived several states away. And I just remember the kids getting out of the van um, and our two and the other two coming together and, Darren and I just having to really fight, just losing it on the sidewalk because it was like you could see there were pieces of them coming together um, that had been for years separated because they, by that point, in about six years in care and they hadn't lived together for six years. Um, And it was just, it's truly sad and we do our best to keep them in contact, but it's, it's all these years they're missing out on together. And it's, I think it's, it goes back even, I, I mean, I think even with that, with, with siblings keeping them together, it, like Margie's hitting on, it, it has to do with their identity. So it's, um, it's one of those topics almost that, that like I'll, I'll talk with fo- talk to folks that are fostering or that have recently adopted and maybe they've adopted a toddler, an infant that's pre-verbal. And, and you're not necessarily seeing things right now. But later on, you'll start to see them wondering about their identity, wondering where they came from, what kind of family. All those questions are going to start to surface when they start to be able to look at themselves and wonder more about who they are and their purpose in life and stuff like that, kind of more the abstract questions. Um, but, but being able to keep the siblings together, that's going to help with 
the identity I can, I can see with, with our, our kiddos that are being able to be kept together. And, and another thing I'll throw out too, is I know that our, our oldest son, even with having a cognitive disability, uh, has mentioned before that he has felt guilt with, uh, this, his siblings being taken from the home thinking that, um, he might've been the cause of it or different things like that. So that just to say that we don't know what's going through our kids' heads either when siblings are separated or kept together. So if a sibling group has to be separated, we're also telling the kids that this whole situation with them being taken out of a birth home is not their fault. But if they're being moved from home to home to home to home, and they're constantly being told, this is not your fault, this has nothing to do with you. Yeah, well, the adults aren't moving around. I'm moving around. So I'm the common denominator. It must be my fault. Well, the same thing with a sibling set being separated. We can tell them that it's not their fault, but that doesn't stop them from taking that on themselves and thinking, this is my fault. I, my, my brother or my sister are not with me because something I did. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I mean, hugely important to, I mean, to keep the, the siblings together. I mean, and if we're talking fostering, I mean, that's why we're, 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 fo- we're fostering to begin with is to help um, a family stay together. It sounds like you guys have got quite a uh, history in this. I think the years you mentioned takes us back, what, a dozen years or more? Mm-hmm. It yeah, does. We started in 2008. Okay, mm-hmm. so you've been doing it for 12 years. So it sounds like you guys have a lot of experience and a lot of time involved. Um, I assume you've built a decent community around you of foster and adoptive parents as well. We have. Um, we've also made two interstate moves that were. One was incredibly unexpected, um, right when we, all the adoptions were finalized in 2012 and we thought, you know, we were still kind of fostering, doing some respite and stuff, but we kind of thought, you know, this is, this is for, Darren's mantra was four is enough. <laughs> <laughs> so we had others, like, like I said, that were with us a lot for respite, but as far as the long term, you know, we kind of felt settled and everybody was kind of getting in their groove and we thought, you know, this would be the first time our kiddos can stay in the same school and for, you know, multiple years in a row and have the same friends and Darren lost his job and they ended up moving to Tennessee. Um, so it took a while to rebuild. And then, um, we just moved to Florida in 2018. So we're still working on rebuilding that a little bit, but we have a lot more, um, especially cause we kind of, um, have built up a virtual network. So we have a lot of folks were connected to virtually but um that that's been very important for throughout our journey and actually you know around 2010 we started a support group in southern illinois um and because we just we saw the need and people were driving sometimes two hours one way to get to that support group because there was just such a need for community for someone else who you know a lot of times foster parents don't even need you to fix their problem They just need you to listen and to know, hey, I'm not the only one in this and um, I'm not crazy (laughs) sometimes, you know, they just need to hear that. So, um, no, I know. Seriously, I can almost hear like 50 foster parents listening to this. We're just like, just we're like, yeah, what she said, like, (laughs) because it's uh, like, it's such a big thing that they just want to hear that they're not crazy. Um, And the virtual resources that we've created have been huge. and what year was it that we started look, the support group, did you say? It was about 2010, I think. 
2009, 2010. And there's still a remnant of it going on today, even though that we don't live there, which is showing just, I think when Margie originally set out to create that support group, again, it showed just how much of a need there was that it's still happening, even though she has no presence in it today. Wow, that's pretty incredible that it, that it's lasted that long, for sure. Darren and I talked a little bit ahead of the, all this, so I, I know a little bit of the, of the backstory here, but what I think was an amazing part of the story is where you told me about coming back from vacation and having a uh, voicemail, I think it was, right? Yeah, so uh, where so after, when we moved to Tennessee, we um, we started to explore reading with the kids because our kids have been moved around from home to home so many years in foster care. Uh, there were just things like reading and different things like that. I, I think a lot of people can relate with that is there are just simple things, simple experiences that our kids had never had. Being read to is one of them and getting interested in reading was one of them. So the kids wanted to, we're going to be going to Universal Studios. The kids wanted to watch all the Harry Potter movies. So we kind of, they'd already seen them. So we kind of said, okay, through different foster homes and different places, you guys have already seen these movies. We're going to read through the books. We'll do a chapter at dinner time each night. So we break out the first book. We started reading. Um, and our, our, our 12, 12-year-old son at the time um, broke down crying after the first chapter, which is, is a big thing for a 12-year-old boy to do in front of a lot of other people. There's it's kind of the macho factor. And uh, for him also, he has a lot of trouble um, with dissociation and, and realizing what emotions he's even having. Um, he also has almost like aphasia where he has trouble recalling words. So communicating his feelings and emotions is a hard thing for him to do. So for him to be crying and understand what's going on at the dinner table is a huge thing for us. Uh, you have to understand. So we kind of ask him, you know, what's, what's happening. And he relays all of this past stuff. Um, and the reason he could do all that is he said, I get how the characters in the book are feeling and could point out how he felt about different things. Um, so we really found out that day, we're like, wow, there's, there's something to this. this. This book is giving him a voice. It's helping him to communicate. Um, and we didn't expect it to happen. It's not like we were sitting down to teach a lesson or anything like that. We were simply just sitting down to read a stinking book together and have fun. We weren't doing trauma therapy or anything. We're just reading together, making a, having bonding, having a shared experience. It really creeped up on us. So uh, the kids got excited about it, actually, because they had great conversation with us. And they said, Margie and I were helping out with a social uh, media management company at the time. And they said, hey, can we write a blog about this and tell other foster and adoptive families what they need to connect with, with this first book with Harry Potter? Yeah, fine. Let's start a family blog. So we start it and we go on vacation a, a few weeks later, maybe two, three weeks later. And uh, while we're on vacation, it was kind of weird, uh, ran into a few people that we didn't know, just making chit chat at the parks. And someone said, Hey, we follow you guys on your, your blog. Really? They show me their smartphones. Sure enough, they're following us on Instagram. That's weird because we're really not doing anything with this thing to make it known. So it's weird that how did you guys know about us? Didn't think anything, just thought it was neat head home. And when we get home, we had a voicemail from the, uh, the Knoxville, Tennessee newspaper um, saying, hey, we, we want to do a news story on your blog. Huh? 
again, we're not marketing it, not try, it's just a fun thing we're doing for our kids. Um, so we started looking at it. We're like, we, we seem to be hitting something here. Um, changed the name because the kids called the blog Hogwarts Adoption. So we're like, wow, there's a lawsuit waiting to happen. So <laughs> we changed it to Transfiguring Adoption. Um, and then, what? I mean, fast forward years later, uh, we we do very little with Harry Potter. It's now a nonprofit. Um, and we, we seek our niches. We try to find ways to resource and help parents so that we can nurture, foster, and adoptive kiddos or, or any kid from a traumatic background. Well, that's quite the, uh, quite the road to helping kids through Harry Potter. Yes. <laughs> well, and it was kind of something, you know, we, we noticed along the way, there were a lot of times that we were able to, to connect to our kids or to convey some, something to them and then for them to share back to us through reading, watching movies, uh, listening to music, there were ways we were able to communicate and share with them and express an idea that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So we found that there was just so much power in that media. Um, and it's, you know, it's a non-judgmental, not, we're not sitting down to talk about, hey, what are our issues? What problems are we having? But we can talk about a character and say, hey, you notice they struggled with such and such and they did this how do you think that worked or do you ever feel that way and you know it's a safe environment to be able to talk about things um and it's just kind of fun the way things come up um you know i even at one point we were watching extreme hoarders um yeah i was just thinking about the story (laughs) it was um just this crazy moment of like, oh no, what are we doing? Because we were watching Extreme Hoarders and it just happens to be this episode where um, CPS comes in and takes the kids out of the home. Um, you know, and we were like, oh wow, talk about trauma triggers and maybe we shouldn't have been watching this and what do we do? But it was the craziest, it ended up being a really good thing because the kids kind of saw the process, you know, because when they were small, they just know someone shows up at the door and takes them away or shows up at school and takes them from the school. Um, but they didn't kind of know how, what led up to that, then kind of what those steps were. And, um, you know, we're just sitting in the car and they said, Hey, so who made the call for us and how did this, you know, and they started asking questions about how it all happened. And really for us, you know, for all of our kids, we were placement five or seven. Um, for the ones who are adopted, for some of the others that were in our house, it was like, you know, we were at placement eight, you know, and at that point, you don't know what happened in the beginning, but we were able to kind of take what we did know and say, this is what we do know, this is what we don't know, and this is kind of what um, maybe did happen or didn't happen, and able to, you know, it led to several conversations over a few weeks, um, and it was something that helped them kind of process and work through some ish, you know, some thoughts and process their past um, in a healthy way that wouldn't have come up otherwise. Um, so it was just, there's some neat things that can happen just in those everyday moments um, as we connect with our kids. Well, and communication is key. You know, mm-hmm. you have to connect with your kids and it sounds like you guys are doing that. And you're doing it in different ways. And we have found in our journey that, you know, every kid is different Mm -hmm. and every kid connects differently and different things will bring up different issues and different triggers. And, you know, one kid learns this way. Another kid is, you know, they verbal and, 
you know, it's just, it, it's crazy. But through this journey, you know, it's taught us that we have to change the way we think so much. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you guys are doing that. And that's really awesome. And it sounds like you're, you know, you're helping other people do that. Um, so why is that so important to you guys? Um, I think it's so important because it's just, it's necessary. We have the statistic that we throw out a lot that there's 50% of foster parents or or newly licensed foster parents are going to quit this year in the States because they don't feel like they can handle the trauma that that a child's bringing into their home. Um, And what that's going to do is it's going to compound everything. Because again, like I was talking about earlier, you have a child that Margie was just even saying it too. Like you have a child that's coming into foster care or even an adoption situation, they're not sure maybe what all has got them there. They just know that they're there in the situation right now. And maybe even the caregiver doesn't even understand everything completely. Um, and then if, they ha- if, if there's a disruption and you have the child move to a new home, you have people around them telling them, this isn't your fault, it's not your fault. But of course, if I'm in their situation, I'm thinking this is totally my fault because that family's not moving to a new home. I'm moving to a new home and I wasn't in, I'm not with my birth family anymore. So um, you have children that are having compounded trauma um, and just everything's getting more complicated. So the more it's important for us to be able to help parents educate them and show them how they can be empowered to use media or different ways to communicate with kids because we got to keep them, we got to empower parents to show them therapeutically how to handle these situations when they come along so that we can lower that disruption rate um, and help kids for, hopefully kids will go back to their birth home. So hopefully we're helping them in that situation and, and we're getting them ready to go back home to where mom and dad are in a healthier place. But if they, if they can't go back home, we have to help. This is a dark time for these kids, for the whole family. It's a dark time. And so we have to be able to help those families figure out how to cope and process that. And, and that's going to take a different way of thinking like you're talking about. Like it's not going to take the same parenting that we know about. Well, I know for us too, I think in the beginning, we really floundered for a while. We felt unprepared, ill-prepared, ill-equipped, you know? Um, you know, and there are things that we learned along the way that were like, oh, we wish we would have known that, you know, two years ago or three years ago or four years ago, five years ago. Um, and maybe things would have turned out even a little better than they have. Um, so I think that's been always important to us is just kind of helping others along this journey. And, and I think even our kids, like yeah. it's, there've been times when we have felt like, you know, maybe we need to just kind of focus on our family and, you know, it's, it's rough running a nonprofit and still paying the bills and, you know, and taking care of your own family and everything. So there've been days where like, Oh, we know maybe, maybe we should just, you know, stick to doing our family stuff. And, you know, our kids will say, Oh no, we want to help other people. And we, you know, put in our work too. (laughs) Um, You know, we wrote these blogs and we did these videos and we did this stuff and um, we want to help other families and we want other kids to, to be able to heal and reach their potential and stuff. And, you know, I'll throw a plug in for our kids too, because our, you know, when we started this, it was, it was a family, it was a family deal. So like everything that we did involved our family, it's become less and less that as it's become a nonprofit, simply because we're trying to protect our kids as we're, we're getting more exposure. Um, and we just don't want them there. I mean, there's a political side 
to like with any situation there's there's a political there's their their agendas there are things within the foster care and adoptive community and people take offense at certain things or they get excited about certain things whatever we just want we're trying to guard our kids from that as much as possible but they like margie said they're fantastic they um they see the work that our nonprofit's doing the services that we offer and they're just constantly giving their input um if nothing else they're they're always like telling margie and i that we have to keep <laughs> those days where you have those rough days where you just want to give up on everything they're telling us you guys can't do this there are other families that need help we got to keep like so i, I gotta give kudos to our kids they really do do a great job with all this it sounds like you've taken a different approach um to it than maybe i have i'm ready to be like the old curmudgeonly guy who's uh, <laughs> these young kids and all this dang technology you know when we had it when i was growing up we had a, one toy to play with and it was called dirt you know <laughs> <laughs> but as, as parents we're really actively watching the amount of technology these kids are getting i mean like we were talking before we started here we're sitting here in front of computer screens trying to do the the virtual schooling with a kindergartner and a first grader day and they're awfully young to be doing this. And we know that this is going to spark that desire for more technology going forward. And I can see lots of dangers in that technology. You know, we, we talked to, um, I think her name was Becca Dominguez from bark.us. And she talks about some of the dangers that they, they work to, to avoid for these kids. But at the same time, you guys have really kind of taken and embraced this technology as a way to help kids and families work through this. And I think that's an amazing way to look at it, that it doesn't have to all be bad. And you guys have done an amazing job of finding a way to make this helpful for kids and families. Well, and I feel like, I think we're kind of with you in a way, because I feel like if we could just take our kids back to Tinker Toys and Dirt, I think we're like, yes, win. But <laughs> it's it's the unfortunate unfortunate nature of our society that there's no way that we're going to be able to, like our kids are going to have to know how to use email. They're going to have to know how to use, even if they don't have a Facebook account, they've got to know the gist and how it works just to even get engaged with conversation around the water cooler at work. Um, and so we somehow, and people are seeing movies more than ever because of co the COVID pandemic. Um, so they have to know about these things. And I think that's somewhat of, of our, our thought process that we've got. It, it's, and it's stuff that people are using anyway. So we're trying to utilize what people are using and what our kids need to learn how to use. Um, it's funny because we even I'm had trying to help the parents know, because as parents, we, we can't look at every mm -hmm. piece of media. Um, we can't Impossible. see yeah. every video game. And for our kids, you know, what, we're looking at as caregivers isn't necessarily like um, what the typical parent might be looking at. You know, if a movie comes out and it's reviewed on some other sites, like I, common sense media, um, you know, and they might be counting how many swear words there are and how many times someone kisses or like, you know, getting into some of these nitty gritty. Um, but maybe, you know, your four-year-old that comes into foster care knows every swear word there is in the book. And, and that's maybe not what you're, that's not maybe <laughs> what you're, you know, what you're looking for. You're looking for what are the trauma triggers? You know, what are, what are the things that um, we need to know as caregivers? Uh, you know, teens are wanting to play video games. What's in the video game? Do they have access to other people through the video game? Is there a way that I can stop them if so, you know, I so need to. Um, those kinds of things, we're trying to empower parents with that information um, 
that maybe they wouldn't be able to find elsewhere because it's a little bit of a different journey. It makes parents less anxious. And like Margie said, that's the reason I feel like it empowers is because it might be stuff that you're not familiar with, but it helps you to become familiar. So what Margie's talking about is, so probably uh, November 2019, we started really, we had already been, because of the Harry Potter blog that our family started, we'd already, we'd always been reviewing books and kind of taking a look at books on our, for our nonprofit we kind of upped the game though, where we have reviewers now that the reviewers are either uh, former foster youth or adult adoptees. They might be therapists, some sort of, they have a way to look at things through a trauma lens. Um, they're looking at books. They're looking at video games. They're looking at the movies when movies were coming out in theaters. They were Now they're looking at movies that are coming out on streaming platforms. But uh, looking at those through a trauma lens and helping a parent to see all the things that Margie was just talking about. And we, we could come out with, the reviewers come out with new ones every month, and then we have a whole database full of it. Um, and, and it is amazing because um, there are things that they're bringing out, like uh, as a new foster parent or even a new adoptive parent, I didn't know that our bodies can't differentiate between good adrenaline and bad adrenaline. So when you are being physically abused, your fight, flight, or freeze um, situation you have some adrenaline that is telling you, uh-oh, got to get out of here, got to survive. On Christmas morning, when you can't wait to open presents, you have the same chemicals given off. But your body doesn't say, oh, this is a good situation. This is a bad situation. No, it just, the chemicals are just given and you get excited. During Christmas time or doing a movie, let's say like the new Marvel movies where you're on the edge of your seat and there are the fight scenes and you have adrenaline pumping through you. Your body just starts to remember, hey, I remember this adrenaline rush. Remember, yeah, we were getting hit or, you know, burned by a cigarette during this time. And then your body just subconsciously has this response of, I'm in danger. I need to get out. I need to do something. But you're sitting in a movie theater having fun with your family or you're opening presents on Christmas morning. But subconsciously, their bodies are telling them that. And so that's where a lot of parents will see sabotage of holidays, meltdowns, different things happen. Um, but our reviewers for the movies and different things are able to pull that out and say, hey, if you're going to go to the movie theater with your child, or if you're going to drop $60 on this new video game, you might want to know about this because instead of spending the money here, if it's going to be an issue, maybe you should spend it over on another situation that, that might be a little bit healthier and you guys will get more out of it. So it's... I think it's vital for, for families to know this stuff. Where could people go to find your reviews? Cause that sounds like a quite the, uh, quite the, the resource to have, because I know there was a TV show that came out a while back that people in the, um, in the foster care and adoptive community really talked a lot about. I never took the time to sit down and watch it. The, um, what was that called? Oh, I don't even remember. It was a cartoon. The Willoughby's. Maybe? The Willoughby's. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we reviewed that one. It was, uh, yeah, we had, we, our reviewer had an interesting time with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. There was a lot of groups that were talking about it and it was really negative and we just, we didn't even check it out and our kids didn't watch it. So it wasn't, wasn't an issue, but like Jason said, where can, where can parents go to find stuff like that? Because I, I know as a parent, we're always looking for that. Absolutely. So if you go to our, our website is transfiguringadoption.com. You're going to put a forward slash subscribe, 
transfiguringadoption.com forward slash subscribe. And it is, it's a media review service. You can choose $5 a month for our standard plan or $12 a month for our premium plan. That helps us to pay our reviewers. Um, Without that, there is a free tier. You're leaving out the free tier. The free tier, you get access to searchable media lists. You can go into book lists. You can go into, you can find like resources for the grownups, but you can find books, movies, video games for the kiddos. And you can put in, like with the books, you can put in a topic and you can find, it'll pull up books that have to do with that topic. You can put in an age range. Um, It's all searchable. And you're going to see if we've reviewed it, there's a rating system, zero to five hoots, because you see the owl before, behind Darren there, that's our, our logo. Um, so our hoot system is based not on like, is this a great literary work? It's based on how useful is this to a foster or adoptive family? Um, and it's all explained on, the, explained on the website. But in the free tier, you can see that in, and you can see just kind of the synopsis, some basic information. In the standard tier, you get um, trauma triggers, you get cautionary points, and you get discussion points, like maybe what are some good discussions that you can have from this media. And then the premium plan is going to include all of that, plus you get discussion slash activity guides. So the reviewers go through and they give you questions that you can ask your kids and then kind of break down why would you ask that, what are you getting at, and a little bit more information or some activities. They might be sensory activities. They might be just bonding activities, something to do with the, the movie. And in all of it, the kids are kind of, they're connecting with you. They're able to talk about issues without ever having to say, Hey, I'm dealing with this. Mm-hmm. And it's everything you need to like, right. It's, it's almost like the dummies books. Like when you, you go, like, you don't want to know, you want to know about a subject and you go to buy whatever for dummies, like this literally for me, uh, I'm an art major. Margie's a psychology major. Uh, I have like intro to psychology type cert- certification. But um, this for me helps me because I can literally, I don't even have to play the video game with my kids. I can literally read through the review and the reviewer says everything for me, has the questions. So I don't have, to, if I didn't have time to play the game with my kiddo, I can literally go through the questions. It explains everything. So just like a week after them playing, I can say, Hey, so what about this? What, what's going on with blah, blah, blah. Like, how do, how do you feel about that? And the, and, and they're kind of surprised that I realize anything about the storyline, to be honest. Cause I think that I, I couldn't care less cause I'm not watching them play the game. So even right there, I get brownie points cause I'm connecting with them. Right. So, um, definitely like Margie said, uh, we were talking, go to transfiguringadoption.com forward slash subscribe. Uh, there's a sample review on there for Toy Story 2 or 4, I don't remember which off the hand, um, that people can download. Um, and if you're not wanting to jump in and pay anything, uh, we have a coupon code that we give folks called, it's first free, the number one, capital S-T-F-R-E-E, first free, and that'll give you the first free, the first month free. So you can just kind of jump in there and, and try everything. And we don't access to the whole database. You can just start downloading stuff and figure it all out if you want to. Like we just, we really just want to help parents and we're just trying to cover the cost of our reviewers. So we totally get people are going to go in there and download everything and, and then bail after before then we're totally fine with that. If, if it helps you with your kids and helps to empower you, that's what we want. 
Oh yeah. And I totally get the cost of things because we have a Patreon account as well mm-hmm. because the sole um, sponsor of this particular podcast. Well, he's a guy that looks a lot like this fellow right here talking. <laughs> <laughs> and there's what's associated with it. And there's a lot of time involved as well in things. And I can only imagine the amount of time you guys have tied up taking care of the things that you have, because that sounds like an amazing opportunity to be able to reach into things that I have no clue about. There's Skyrim, there's Fortnite, there's Dark Souls. I think my older son, my, one of my older sons, mm-hmm. he's 19, was talking about this morning. There's about a thousand video games that they talk about. I really have no clue. Yeah. I have time to play video games. I don't know the storyline. I don't know the goal. I know that if I walk by, I can tell if it's a first person shooter and that's about it. Right, exactly. And it's, you know, it's hilarious too, is I'll, I'll share an interesting story is, so we have, uh, we have a bulk rate for this that we like an agency might want to get it for their foster families instead of each individual. So we have a bulk rate. We have an agency in Lubbock, Texas that has group homes and foster homes. They just bought a bunch of subscriptions at a lower rate. And they said, we're going to use this to train our group home staff because they're watching videos and playing video games with the kids, but they don't, like our staff aren't trained on trauma. They don't know how to interact with the kids, what they're seeing, what to watch for. So they're using it to train their staff. Well, it was interesting because the funny part is, is my manager of this project is talking with our contact over there. And she's like, hey, really appreciate you guys. Are we hitting everything? Do you guys need us to... And the, the contact over there is like, hey, we have a lot of kids playing this video game. We want you guys to review it. No problem. We'll review it. Anything else? Any movies? yeah, the new Chucky movie just came out. Can you review that one? And we're like, whoa, like, <laughs> are you guys serious? Like, and we're, cause all of us, like our whole media review team, we're like, are they seriously going to show kids from trauma backgrounds, Chucky? Like in the group home, really? In the group home. Like, and so like I had to stop where, and our, our project manager, Jen, she's amazing. She's like, okay, you guys stop. Let, let, let me explain. She's like, Yes, they want you to review this, but not so that they can watch it. They have kids coming into their home that have already seen it. And so they have no clue what kids are freaking out about. They have no clue what happened in that movie. All they know is they're having issues because of this movie and they don't know how to talk with them. And we're like, oh, so it's, it's, it's a powerful tool in that way too, with kids coming into your home. If there's something you don't want to watch, or you don't want in your home for various reasons, it gives you those cliff notes and those warnings so you know how to still bond and connect with your kid um, and help them work through something that um, you don't want to, like you don't want to expose yourself to a a Chucky movie or something like that. So um, that was one of our more interesting uh, (laughs) media reviewer uh, meetings, though, (laughs) was was trying to decide who is, I have a bunch of reviewers that are not horror and thriller people. So they were like, everyone was doing a not it for for, uh, (laughs) watching Chucky. So (laughs) yeah, Jason wouldn't watch it. He's not a horror fan at all. (laughs) I used to be like as a teen. And now I'm like, I, I don't, even like the thriller suspense stuff, like I don't want anything to do with it anymore. Maybe like, too much real life has happened. <laughs> absolutely, yes. I can totally see the value in that because one of the things that we had happened when our kids were younger is um, our kids were staying with a family member who we didn't think would pull this one off, but 
we came home um, on an after an evening out to find out that our kids, how old were they? They oh, were young, goodness. but they had sat Two down, and three, yeah, and had watched Scream. <laughs> yeah, we had a kiddo that came in at four who had seen Scream, and there were multiple night terrors and things involved with having been exposed to scream at a young age. (laughs) Several nights of scary man, mommy, scary man, scary man, and screaming. And I was like, Oh, Oh my goodness. Why why would you expose a child? I mean, it just, it never even crossed our minds to speak to this person and say, Hey, you know, this is not appropriate for this level of age. You know, and you just don't think about the exposure that your child gets on a day-to-day basis when you're not around. And I don't think people in the general public think about what, because again, what Margie was talking about, like, like I'll talk to folks that, that have asked us, hey, can I volunteer to be a reviewer? And I'll talk with them. And we've had one or two people that, that hadn't had any trauma experience. And we actually have to take them through a training process because we found if, we don't, if they've never had experience with kids from trauma backgrounds or looking at things through a trauma lens, they're looking at like how many times the F-bomb was dropped. And we're like, okay, while I know a lot of people have opinions on a three-year-old using the F-bomb, and I'm not condoning it, but... I mean, if, if a child's already using it, we're, we're, they're looking at it as how can we stop kids from being exposed to something? But I'm like, but they're already been exposed to it. They, they know every, they can use swear words but better than do, you. Do the main caregivers die in the first three minutes? Like they do right. in like most Disney movies, you know, <laughs> like is there some major loss or are there, you know, there's, we actually have a whole worksheet on, and it's in all of our, review packets on 10 major things to look for. And they're, they're not things that people necessarily think of, but they're all things that kids coming from, you know, foster or adoptive experience have probably dealt with that could be triggering that wouldn't be triggering to the typical child. And it's, it's kind of like the Marvel movie, like with the adrenaline, it's stuff that you're not thinking of. Um, yeah, actually now that I, Margie, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause when people, no matter what level you subscribe to, as long as you subscribe to the free level, the stamp, whatever, they get a free download with our, that we, we go through and we explain trauma triggers and, and how media can be used to help kids and how also the triggers are going to remind them of their past and harm them. Um, but it's, it's really, it's, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier where it's parenting different. So you're really shifting and communicating different. You're looking at things different. You're not looking uh, like the typical parent where you're worried and concerned about having your child exposed to certain things because they've already been exposed to certain things. You're worried about re-exposing them or, or, or getting them reconnected with the trauma that they've already lived through. So it, you, it's just things like watching abuse of an animal or a parent or is there substance abuse or things like that where uh, even people like in a like a Roger Rabbit movie where something where you're not thinking they're drinking in that movie not all kids are going to be triggered by that but if you grew up in a home with a physically abusive parent that was drunk all the time Roger Rabbit doing a shot of whiskey might bother you you know you mentioned that and I remember in our classes that we took one of the uh, other potential foster parents was there as well. And they show a video and they obviously don't show anything inappropriate, but in this particular video, 
the the dad came into the little girl's bedroom and sat down on the bed beside her and was you, you you could tell just by the the scene that that it was something inappropriate and one of the parents who was one of the, the adults who was there to become a foster parent suddenly stood up and she said do i have to stay here and the worker said no and so she turned around and walked out of the room for a while and it just shows how those triggers can last for mm-hmm. 20 30 yeah. years later and she's still triggered in the same moment by something that obviously was in her history and bothered her that much later. How much more does it affect a kid at 14, 15 years old as they're going through those developmental phases? Right. And when they often haven't been able to process it or they don't, you know, some of it might've been pre-verbal and sometimes they don't even remember it. They just something, you know, there's the book, um, the body keeps the score and it, it, you know, it relates to those chemical reactions in the body and they can be triggered and they don't even know why they're triggered Um, because something happened pre-verbally or they, maybe it wasn't pre-verbal, but they just didn't have enough knowledge to kind of process through it um, or no safe adults on duty to work with them. So. And then you're seeing kids doing, I mean, to us, it looks weird, but for them, it's the only way uh, a 13 year old falling down to the ground and just screaming, kicking their feet in a movie theater is the only, they, they don't, they don't know how to articulate their needs or what's happening to them. All they know is to panic and to go into that. And they, they just know that they feel threatened and they need to get out of that situation and they need help to everyone else. It looks weird. We, there's a teenager on the floor flailing around. Are they having an attack? Is there something like medically wrong? Um, or bad parenting or bad parent like what so it there's a lot that goes on there um and and our kids that don't know how to articulate themselves they just need us to be on duty as as different seeing things differently and being able to anticipate things and being investigators ourselves and that's why the reviews it's to me gosh to me the reviews help it's so much like I, i can think of times that i've used them myself with my kids and i can think of I'm glad we've avoided certain movies based on what reviewers have put out. Um, and I'm so glad because we, I mean, we're an iTunes family. Like we personally, instead of spending all, we have a big family. So instead of going to the movie theater, we'd rather just spend the night at home iTunes. And then I can pause if someone has a meltdown or someone gets chatty and they like, so I don't miss the movie, but even then I'm still spending like what, like $15, $20 on a movie. And so if I know I'm going to have a negative experience with my family, like I, when we would have meltdowns or have things that would happen with media, like I just, I, I, my mind just goes to, I could have spent $20 on this. We could have gone out to eat at like, I could have gotten all the kids McDonald's happy meals and it would have made their day. And we would have had all these fun laughing moments but no, we bought this movie and now everyone's, you know, in tears and they're having nightmares and we're having to deal with all this other junk. And it's just a horrible situation. I could have done this and had happy faces and fun and good memories, but no, here I am. Like, so for me, the, even the reviewers putting this out and this knowledge is just amazingly important because it helps me to guard my finances so I can make sure my family's doing well and doing healthy things. You know, you mentioned the importance of this with foster kids and kids who've been through trauma, but even our older sons who were biological kids who did not come from a trauma background. I remember 
Well, I remember the day that our oldest son stepped into his uh, preteen years full-fledged because we had gone to the movie theater and watched um, Where the Wild Things Are. I don't know if you guys remember Mm -hmm. that movie. And on the way home, I I thought it was an interesting movie because my psychology degree never happened. I'm just a um, uh, a amateur, I guess you would say. I just... (laughs) I, I You're in good company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I enjoy that that the conversation around psychology and, and how that affects people. And so I was talking with the kids as we're on the way home, and I asked them, I'm, I'm like, you know, I can see, like, these different monsters are all part of a personality and, and part of the, the brain. And that, so I was asking my kids, which, which one do you think is most like you? And I, when I got to my oldest son at that point, that was the first time he he, like, kind of balked at answering, and then he kind of had a little bit of a meltdown on me. And I was like, whoa, where did my cute little eight-year-old boy go? Because <laughs> he wasn't eight anymore. Oh, right. like 10 or 11, I'm going to say. Something like that. Somewhere in that age range. And suddenly something in that movie had had really affected him. And I didn't realize it. And, and so we had this whole experience where suddenly he was really triggered by this. And it caused kind of a, a, a really negative dynamic for us. How much more is that true for a kid who hasn't had food security in their life, who hasn't been in a home all the time for their life, a kid who maybe lived on the streets and, you know, because that's, it sounds a little bit out there to most people, but we have kids who've done that, you know, to a kid who's been sexually abused, physically abused, or D all the above. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen that. So that this is a really valuable resource for foster parents, adoptive parents. And to be honest, even parents in general, even with your own bio kids, because you don't know all the traumas that they have necessarily experienced, regardless of how much you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, uh, I, I mean, I'll even say we have a reviewer that she has a stepdaughter um, and just, you know, she, she uses some of the reviews and alters them for, uh, you know, a, a divorced family situation. Um, and, and it's, it's still, it still works out. So yeah, it's, It definitely, uh, through our resources, we've had daycare providers, um, not so much with the review service, I guess, but we've had other educators look at at, at some of the questions and different things. And they're surprised with how much, even though we're called transfiguring adoption and we're talking about foster care and adoption all the time, things that we're producing are easily translatable into what educators need at school to help kids that are coming from a bad, uh, the home's going through a bad divorce or a messy divorce. Um, Anything where there's just a lot of chronic trauma in that child's world, uh, this is going to be able to be translated and used to help a child work through their feelings or articulate different things or avoid triggers with that. So it's, um, and I think that's, I mean, we're talking about the trauma triggers and, and how to avoid that stuff. I think, the other one thing too, as educators um, point out a lot to me are just the positive uses for it too, because they don't realize some of the healthy conversation thing like, to talk about with kids that come from a trauma background. Like a lot of our kids in the foster care system or from adoption, they were never modeled how to make good, healthy relationships and friendships. Um, and so as many times as we can see that modeled in a movie or a video game, we want to point that out to parents that, hey, this is what the character did to make healthy friendships. Let's talk about that. Are you doing that? Do you think it would help you in your life? Because our kids don't necessarily know how to make healthy friends or have healthy relationships. Or we want to point out in a movie how someone's making bad choices for a friendship or a relationship so that our kids can see that 
and they can lock it away in their head later, I, I, I shouldn't do that because it ended bad for that character. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a uh, real amazing resource for all parents in general because, like I mentioned, kids have trauma, whether we know about it or not. So even if your kids haven't gone through the system, they, they're potentially at risk for that. Now, I've been sitting here taking notes this whole time, and Margie, I just noticed a note that I wrote down that I never went back. You mentioned something. You kind of just brushed over it, that at one point you were in D.C. working on a national campaign for foster care and adoption. What role did you play in in Washington, D.C. with foster kids? Um, I've been able to go a few different times. One time I was able to go and speak on the adoption tax credit. Um, and then the other time was to do some media training. Um, so when they were setting up that national ad campaign, campaign Adopt U.S. Kids has, you know, like kind of a speaker's bureau nationally of adoptive families that they can call on for local or national, you know, at what, whichever level that they're looking for someone. And so we were doing some kind of media trainings to kind of hone our messages. Um, so, but they were bringing people in. It was really neat to meet. They had some former foster youth talking about that sibling separation and um, just doing some work on that aspect. So you've been working with not only the kids and, and families, foster families, through your media and everything that you're doing for a lot of years and nationally as well. Mm-hmm. You guys are like rock stars in this world. <laughs> Far from it. We, we do what we can when we can. <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, you know, so many people that I know are afraid to step out into something that's uncomfortable or unfamiliar territory. And it sounds like you guys are just willing to embrace life and step right into whatever challenge is set in front of you and just go for it. Yeah, we, I mean, I think, again, it comes back to we, we just want to see kids succeed. Uh, I mean, even with, uh, with transferring adoption, the very first part of our, our, our tagline is uh, we exist to nurture, foster, and adoptive kids. And it's, or, or any kid from a trauma background. We just want to see, we can see that something's not right. We can see that, uh, and we're not throwing blame on people, but we, we, I mean, I think anyone can see that the system isn't necessarily working the way it should or the way it, it, it could fully work right now. And we just want to see that it's helped so that we can help as many kids possible. Well, that's a great reason to, to work towards it because at the end of the day, I say this a lot, but at the end of the day, who's going to be taking care of our pension funds, our retirement plans, our <laughs> health care decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We really want to have those kids in good shape so that when we get there, we <laughs> absolutely. And it's, it's yeah. true. Like, well, we'll tell, I mean, I'll, I'll tell a lot of folks too, cause we, we do. Um, I mean, we, we do think outside the box a little bit because we, uh, we, we've been contacted by comic conventions over the years to, to go to talk because with our Harry Potter discussion guide, uh, a lot of fans, fans of that series want to hear how they can help kids and give meaning to their fandom. Um, but there are a lot of folks that will come across that they just, I mean, it's, it's not heartless that just helping children is not their goal in life, but I'll tell them, I'm like, look, you guys, that's fine. But the stats are showing me, they're pretty bleak for kids aging out of the system. We can either help and take the time 
to help these kids now. And that doesn't mean that you need to become a foster parent, but you need to support foster parents. You need to do things like help transfiguring adoption or other great nonprofits out there that are helping families. You need to help them now because if you don't, later we're going to spend more time, energy, and money. Because For the rest of the kids' lives when they're incarcerated or on welfare or different things because they haven't gotten the support and the things that they need now. Right. So we can either make sure that they become sex- successful adults now or we can just be taking care of them for the rest of their lives. Um, And I think it's a no brainer, which one to choose. Um, And then when you're involved with it, like a lot of the folks here that are listening and you guys, we're seeing these kids firsthand and you don't, you see the potential in them and you don't want them to fall on their face. You want them to fly. You want them to succeed. Um, and, And you're just looking at them and you're thinking, I could do something about it right now So I need to do something. I can't just sit and dream about it or hope that someone else does it. I need to, and again, it doesn't have to be becoming a foster parent. It might mean just doing something small. Like if you know a foster family or an adoptive family, order a pizza for goodness sakes for that night for them, just so that they don't have to cook that night. And at the very least, those parents are able to sit down with the kids and talk with them or they're able to maybe go into their bedroom, shut the door for five minutes or, or however long it would have taken them to make a meal longer than five minutes and just take a breather and, and not worry about things so that they mentally can prepare themselves for, for handling uh, trauma behaviors or, or working with kids or doing different things because um, it's exhausting. Or um, transporting to five different therapists or whatever, <laughs> going to two different IEPs and whatever it is that is on the table for the day. Well, as a side note, we are from the St. Louis area, so we prefer emos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, emos. Yes, I miss emos. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what do we have down here? We have Papa John's? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what the local Orlando one is. We do have a Giordano's here somewhere. Oh, man. We have deep, we have deep dish. Do you? <laughs> we do. We're in St. Louis. There's no deep dish. <laughs> I think St. Louis and Chicago has a, a little bit of a rivalry on more than sports. I think pizza's a big rivalry. Yes, well. yes. My family is all from Chicago, so they would be, you know, the go for the deep dish people. <laughs> <laughs> so let's not go to your Thanksgiving dinner because they're probably going to fight over sports too. <laughs> yes, because some of them are Sox fans and some of them are Cubs fans. It's it's pretty, uh, you know, that's a nasty little rivalry. <laughs> yeah, and if you're a Cardinals and, fan, you got to fight all of them. And his family's from closer to St. Louis, so they are Cardinals fans. So we've Real got it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you guys are doing a lot of great stuff for kids in care, for kids out of care, adoptive kids, and the families that support them. What are the best ways for people to be able to get a hold of you guys and and reach out and get some of your uh, some of your resources? available that you have online or um, or however they can contact you offline, whatever you have, what's the best way for people to touch base with you guys? Yeah. So uh, definitely going to the website is, is a uh, number one way to get a hold of us uh, to talk with our staff, to talk with uh, anyone, see our resources. It's transfiguringadoption.com. Um, we're on social media and we're, we're mostly on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The handle for that is at transfigure, T-R-A-N-S-F-I-G-U-R, and then adopt. More than enough characters to put all of it in. 
either that or just if they can search on transfiguring adoption, search transfiguring adoption will pop up. Um, That's probably those are probably the best ways to get a hold of us. Um, And then uh, if you go to our website, definitely sign up for our e uh, e newsletter so that you can keep in contact with everything that we're doing. And I'll tell people too: we just came out with uh, published a book that has. Uh, ways that you can play with your kids and do playful engagement activities um, with them. And that has its own website uh, called Magical Creatures without the last E.com. So Magical Creatures. No last E last because e. Magical Creatures was taken. <laughs> magical Creatures was taken. And the other <laughs> Along with about every other <laughs> name you could think of. So uh, those would be the best ways for them to get in contact. Uh, and I will say that on every Monday, we have a private group that we people can get signed up with that just by joining our Facebook group. And we'll talk about it and watch Facebook posts. It's a support group that's a, a private group on Facebook. Uh, we do it, hold it virtually. We have guests on there. So we might have therapists or other authors or, or different things like that. Former foster youth, adult adoptees. We kind of have a We just gamut. connect with each other. It's a place for you to land as a caregiver. Uh, it's not medical advice. It's not legal advice. It's just some way weekly for you to connect with other people that are going through the same journey that you're going through. And just a place for you to say, hey, I'm dealing with this. Am I crazy? And just to have other people tell you, no, I'm going through the same thing. Um, it's just a way to find other people that are just like you. Well, if they're just like me, then they are actually crazy. <laughs> well, I think it, I think on this journey, we all have to have a little bit of crazy in us. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> and to survive, we need a good sense of humor too. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you said Darren's mantra was four is enough and we're at seven. So Yeah, we were at seven... No, we were at six in 2017. So, and, and that was supposed to be a weekend that lasted six months. So <laughs> four is enough has kind of, there's been some wobble on that here and there. So it's more like a guideline than a rule. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, true. it's true. I mean, once I they that. outnumber you, once you've moved from kind of like offense to defense, it's kind of, you know, sometimes it's like, what's one more, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> one more, I mean, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, there was, we, after the kids were all adopted, we had three others that we were, a lot of times it was like about a week out of every month there with us. And there was this, these moments where we kind of said, you know, should we, could we? And then we'd think, you know, it's one thing to have them for a week, but then to add three more sets of therapists, three more sets of IEPs and everything else. We're like, maybe we're kind of at our max right now. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. You it, know. Is. it is. A week oftentimes translates to a month easily. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I will say that when we had that happened, we knew it was happening. So it wasn't. We, we were, you know. Far we, we were seasoned minutes. enough parents, foster parents that we, we saw it coming and we actually called on it. And we said, now when you say probably a weekend. The probably was in there. So I'm like, when you say probably a weekend. When you said three weeks max, you would definitely have a home for them in three weeks, you know, and like three months later when we're calling and saying, so, um, you know, school starts next week. Do we just go ahead and enroll them? Oh, we'll find a house. We'll find a home. Like, don't just pull them out of our house just because you, you know, just because you know, we'll enroll them in school. They can stay here. Like, unless you have a permanent solution, 
don't just move them. But yeah, that we know as foster parents that yeah, there's a there's a little wobble in that time frame usually. Sometimes it's a big wobble. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, we we've experienced that wobble for sure. But you know, it's it's awesome that you guys are focusing on permanency for kids as well, because that's one of the things that I think every foster system that I know of is really aiming towards is being certain that we can find permanency for these kids. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I mean, even with our, with our adoptive kiddos, once they had permanency, that's when we really, actually, I would say when all of our kids started realizing that they were going to be in a home and they were stable, that's when we really, I won't say that it like it was overnight and everyone was perfect uh, because we're still not. Uh, but we, we saw some major things change in our kids for the better once they realized they had stability and they had a home. And, um, but like I said, it's, we're still, we, we are not the perfect family by any means. So oh, you haven't reached um, perfection yet. We haven't. I, I, feel, I, I feel like it's going to be on a Tuesday sometime. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll call you guys and we'll come on the podcast again when that happens. Um, he says his last interview ever. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. And as we talk about perfection, I can hear, I don't know if you can hear or not, if the microphone's picking up. I picked it, up a second of something. Yeah, on the other side of the <laughs> there, who's um, arguing with a brother over something that I'm certain is deep and abidingly important, like who has more graham crackers. That's awesome. <laughs> Do you know what? It's amazing though, because it's like uh, the last, I think we were on, we were on another podcast that, that deals with foster care and adoption. And it was fun because that the same thing, like it was like all of a sudden we saw the person that was hosting it go. And I'm like, okay, either you're giving me a hand signal or there's a kid doing something off, off like the way that I can't see that's that you're trying to shoo away. Um, and then our, our Monday caregiver check-in, it's funny because I'll constantly like, like sometimes you can hear Margie in the background go, your dad's doing the check-in right now. Keep it quiet. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, we're real people. You guys like <laughs> have a real life. <laughs> yeah. More than once I've been on a call somewhere and heard in the background, a can be be quiet. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. I wish that worked. And we haven't yet had that. You haven't seen me have to give the, the finger point direction that says go. <laughs> yeah. The look of, are you bleeding? Are you dying? <laughs> we had um, Melissa Corkum on the inter or interviewed on our podcast a while back. And she, um, she sent us something that, that made me, really laugh when I saw it and the guests can't see it, but it's, it's a little door hanger that says yes. recording. And then at the bottom, she handwrites knock only for blood or fire. Yes. Yes. yes she sent us <laughs> one of those too. <laughs> Melissa's awesome. That's like the best door hanger ever. I'm like looking at this door hanger and I'm like, wow, this is like, how did she know? <laughs> if I could only get my four and five year old or no five and six year old to the point where they could read that clearly, it would be awesome. Oh my goodness. It'd be great, man. And I'll, I'll put a plug, man. If, if anyone, uh, Melissa Corkum has some awesome stuff with personality testing. Have you guys heard about that? Yes. Yes. We interviewed her and I, I am actually, I'm a fan of the Enneagram stuff. So we did. Yes, talk to her oh, we are too. We'll have to talk numbers later. 
I gave Amanda full permission to check out during that conversation. Not her. Yes. <laughs> no, we have <laughs> we have some other volunteers. We actually had our took our volunteers through that, and uh, that we had some volunteers that opted to check out too. Um, <laughs> but um, no, it's it's I'm I'm interested to see more about what Melissa has going on with that um, over at the cork board because. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting for for uh, caregivers to use that with their kids and and see how they're parenting actually. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can begin to understand someone else's perspective a little bit as you go through that, and that's, that's one of the things that Brian Post over at the Post Institute said was, you know, you part of our job is learning to see through a lens other than the lens that we were born with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's think, rough sometimes. I think to be completely effective as foster and adoptive parents, we kind of have to be lifelong learners. We always kind of have to be figuring out a little bit more and, you know, it's this constant, okay, what are we, what's, what kind of things are our children dealing with and how can we best help them through that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's been great talking to you guys today. Absolutely. It is amazing that, you know, some book that my my son brought home, decided to read it. What, what was he like? Second grade. I think he was we had an early reader, um, you know, has turned into something that has helped so many kids because of the way that you guys could see that these conversations really translated over into the real world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's, uh, it's, it's amazing that our kids took us along for the ride. Um, Yeah. No, I hope that we can help more people because I think there's an easy way for people to use what they've been given in front of them and make it dynamic. It certainly appears as if you guys are taking whatever is being handed to you, is you're taking it right on down the road and running with it as far as you can and helping as many people as possible. So that's amazing. We appreciate you guys talking with us today and doing the things that you do. Thanks, Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you. Appreciate it, yeah.